Hey everybody, this is Brian Zond and welcome to the Word of Life Church Sermon Podcast. I'm glad you're interested in what we have to say as we try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would ever be so inclined to help us financially, you can do that at wolc.com. Mark chapter 1 verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. Yes, everyone is searching It's early in the ministry of Jesus. He only has four disciples. He'll get eight more. But he has Peter and Andrew, James and John. He's preached for one of his first times in a synagogue. In the synagogue there in Capernaum. And he cast an unclean spirit out of a man. And people were astounded at his authority. They left the synagogue and immediately entered in to the home of Simon Peter. And that's how it works when you're in Capernaum. You leave the synagogue and it's a one minute walk to Simon Peter's house. I know this, I've done this many, many times. Uh, We have identified, I say we, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, Biblical archeology span has identified Synagogue in Capernaum and Simon Peter's house. We we call these A sites. They're not guesses. These are the sites. It's a one minute walk. You walk out of the synagogue, one minute, you can walk in Simon Peter's house. And when Jesus went in, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever and they told Jesus about her and Jesus came to her and took her by the hand and lifted her up and she was healed. As the sun began to set, marking the end of the Sabbath, news had spread throughout the town at what had happened in the synagogue that morning, that the unfortunate man with the unclean spirit had been set free. And so the townspeople of Capernaum began to gather at the door of Simon Peter asking for Jesus, all of those who were sick, all of those who were troubled by evil spirits, and Jesus laid hands on them and healed them. Very early the next morning, while it was still quite dark, Jesus slipped out of Simon Peter's house and he went off into a remote, deserted place that he might be in solitude. And there he prayed. When Simon and Andrew and James and John were up in the morning, They can't find Jesus. He's not in the house. He's not outside the house. He's not in the synagogue. And so they go hunting for him. And after spending some time searching for Jesus, they finally find him praying. And they say to him, everyone is searching for you. I believe that. I actually believe that. 
I believe everyone is searching. Everyone, is, everyone who hasn't succumbed to despair and surrendered denialism, except for that, and that's not many, fortunately. Everyone is searching. And ultimately, whether they know it or not, they're searching for Jesus. Ah, that's a bold statement. That's a bold statement that I know many will disagree with. I respect your disagreement, but I don't change my mind. I am convinced, boldly convinced, that everyone is searching, save those that have succumbed to despair and surrender to nihilism. Everyone is searching, searching for something, and whether they know it or not, what they are searching for is Jesus. Everyone is searching. Everyone is everyone's searching for truth. We don't want to live by lies. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be bamboozled. We want the truth. Everyone is searching for meaning. We, when we find the truth, we want it to mean something. We don't want the truth of existence to be that it's all an absurd joke. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for goodness. When we find truth and its meaning, we want it not to be evil, but good. Everyone is searching for beauty. We're just, we can't help it. We're attracted to it. We intuit that beauty is a reliable way maker, way marker on the way to truth. Everyone is searching. Everyone is searching for love. Maybe most of all, everyone is searching for love. Everyone is searching for forgiveness because we're all aware of our own guilt and we hope there's a way we can be absolved and forgiven. Everyone is searching for acceptance. We don't want to just be forgiven. We want to be forgiven, but then we want to be accepted back into some community. Which is to say, everybody's searching for belonging. Yes, we value our uniqueness, but we want our uniqueness in the context of belonging to some community. Which is maybe to say everybody is searching for home. Which is probably related to a very true statement. Everyone is searching for peace. Am I right? Who doesn't want that? Everybody's searching to find a way to be at home within themselves and have peace. Everyone is searching for a life that goes and endures beyond death. Everyone is searching for somehow a life that continues on beyond death. And all of this means nothing more, nothing less than everyone is searching for God. Whether they know it or not, whether they admit it or not, in seeking for truth and meaning and goodness and beauty and love and forgiveness and acceptance and belonging and home and peace and eternal life, we are seeking for God. Because that's where all of that stuff is found. In God. This reminds me of uh, Aurelius Augustinus. You know him as St. Augustine or probably St. Augustine. We'll go with that. I dreamed I saw St. Augustine alive as you or me. <laughs> saint, of course, he didn't start out as a saint. You know this about him. Born in 354, 
in the Roman Empire in North Africa. He wasn't born a saint. Oh, far from it. He was this prodigious and profligate genius. He quickly, because of his great intellect, ascended in the imperial court and operated at the highest echelons. But he also kind of lived the... Well, his life was also one of wine, women, and song, which was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of antiquity. And so he's a genius. He's successful. He works for the emperor. He's reaching the upper echelons of society, but he still hadn't found what he was looking for. And he knew that. And finally, finally, under the fig tree, crying out to God, he found what he was looking for in Jesus. And St. Augustine got it just right when he begins his famous spiritual autobiography, Confessions, with this prayer. Thou hast made us for thyself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's so good. That's so true. That restless, that yearning, that seeking, that searching, it's because God put that kind of heart in you. Oh God, thou hast made us for thyself. And because of that, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Everyone is searching. Everyone is searching for God. Only God has what we are searching for. And God has allowed himself to be found in the word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. The 1960s, what a significant time. It still stands as this great canyon in Western culture. Which side of the 60s you were born on and grew up in, it, it does make a difference. What happened in the 60s was the emergence of youth counterculture, who for various reasons... Many of whom, many just decided they were not just going to automatically, uncritically adopt all of the values of their parents. So there was some rebellion. There was also seeking and searching. Some in good ways, some in destructive ways. But that characterizes the 60s with, with young people in a counterculture exploring, seeking, sometimes through drugs, Sometimes through, especially Eastern religions, because that was exotic and different. Transcendental meditation, all those sorts of things, the hippie thing. And then, in the early 70s, something surprising happened. Many of these counterculture young people found what they were looking for in Jesus. People didn't see this coming. People did not see this coming. 
They didn't see it coming. Their parents didn't see it coming. Not a few, hundreds of thousands of young people in the 1970s who were more or less in some way or another associated with the counterculture find Jesus. They find Jesus. Woo! Woo! And the Jesus movement was centered in things called coffee houses, not churches, not churches, because churches were off the radar. Churches were viewed by young people as uh, little more than custodians of the empty consumerism of America. And so they're they're not going to the First Baptist Church in their search, but these coffee houses pop up where young people who have found Jesus are now talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus and bringing their friends. And in these coffee houses, people are finding Jesus. This is happening all over the country. Nobody organized it. It wasn't planned. It just happened. Of course, these coffee houses had names. Names like Love Inn. That was one of the famous ones out in New York. The Soul Inn. Shiloh. The Living Room. The Upper Room. Hey, we got one of those. (laughs) Bread and Wine. Belly of the Whale. That's a great one. Hey, come on. Come with me to the belly of the whale. I mean, how do you say no to that? Agape house. That was in Kansas City. Catacombs. That was here in St. Joseph. And whether you know it or not, you're in the catacombs today. Because Word of Life Church is nothing more than catacombs grown up. That's all it is. One of my favorite coffee house names was one in Phoenix. Searcher's End. I love that one. Searcher's end. Because Jesus is the searcher's end. That makes me think about K.D. Butt, my friend of 35 years. K.D., born in northern India, a Hindu Brahmin, was, of all things, a child priest. So you have to imagine a Hindu temple and people coming to the Hindu temple. And this child blessing them because he's a Brahmin. As a child, as a child. He's a child priest. As he moves into his 20s, he becomes a teacher of Hindu philosophy in the university in Varanasi, one of the holy cities of Hinduism. While KD, which by the way is Krishna Devi, he's named after two Hindu gods. That's his background. While KD is... Uh, in teaching philosophical Hinduism in Varanasi, he encounters in the university there a Christian, an Indian man who was a Christian. And by his own account, he says, I hated him. (laughs) He hated him because he hated Christianity because he thought Christianity is a new religion and it's a Western religion and it has no business being in India. But he watched the man, he observed the man. And after about six months, he said, I had to admit he had two things I did not have. He had peace and he had joy. And I had neither. So KD went to the man, talked to him, got a New Testament from the man. And KD, the teacher of Hindu philosophy in the University of Varanasi, began to read the New Testament clandestinely, 
didn't want anybody to know. Like go in a closet and shut the door, which is what Jesus said to do anyway. So. He starts reading the New Testament. He actually doesn't get very far. He only gets to chapter 11 where Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And KD paused and he prayed and he said, Jesus, I don't know if you are real, but I am weary and heavy laden. And if you are real, give me your rest. And this doesn't happen to everybody. But Jesus appeared to him. Jesus actually appeared to him. Made himself known. Laid his hands on him. And called him to bring the gospel to North India, which is difficult. But he did. He moved to Kurukshetra. One of the very holy cities of Hinduism. It's like, go start a church in Mecca. See how that goes. That's what this was like. Kurukshetra. It's known as, it's known as the city of temples. Everywhere you go, temples, 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 to all of the Hindu gods. So he starts a church and what does he name it? Temple of Christ. It's genius. Temple of Christ. He would not have survived this audacious move except for the fact that he was a Brahmin. And you know, in Hinduism to kill a Brahmin, eh, you don't want to do that. Bad karma. And so he's able to get a little foothold. And he, he plants the temple of Christ. And he remains faithful. And 35 years ago, I met him. And then we began to work together. And Word of Life supported him. Today, I mean, when I was first met him, you know, the temple of Christ, the building would seat about 100 people. Today, they have a building that seats several thousand. It is, it's a miracle. Now, one year ago today, exactly one year ago today, one year ago today, Perry and I visited K.D. Butt in his home. His son, Paul, and his wife, Sharon, now pastor the church. The main reason, I, I did some other stuff while I was there. I did a big conference and all that. But the whole reason I really went to India is the people that I know and love there that have worked with for decades KD and PG, they're getting old, and I thought, I, I want to see them again. So Perry and I, we went and visited PG, and we went and visited KD. And we were, a year ago today, we were in the home of KD in Kurukshetra, India. A home, by the way, it's a lovely home, and it was built by the giving of Word of Life Church. I am so proud of our church for doing that. I am just as proud as I can be. Paul and Sharon now live there. Now, now KD is, he's deteriorating. A lot of dementia, can't really speak to him much. But when I got out of the car, he recognized me and he has this distinctive laugh and he laughed and gave me a hug. Didn't really talk much. Katie's also famous in India for a song he wrote way back in the 70s. I've heard him sing it many times. It's in Hindi, but it's, it's about how, how when Jesus came into his life, Jesus brought him joy. And he, he doesn't really converse much. You know, sometimes it happens as people age and all that. But he can still sing that song. So we asked him to sing that song. And he started singing that song. And he went on and on. Finally, his son had his like, okay, that's enough, Dad. I think he would have sung it for two hours. But it was... KD, but... This is the story of a seeker who found 
what he was searching for in Jesus. Now, KD didn't know he was searching for Jesus when he started searching. He just knew he was searching for something. And in the crucial moment, he was willing to risk everything by becoming open to Jesus. And when I say risk everything, he did risk everything. His family rejected him. Of course, he lost his position as a teacher of Hindu philosophy. He risked everything, lost everything, and gained everything. You know, there are many earnest seekers in the world who don't yet know they're searching for Jesus. They'll know in due time. Yet, here in the West, many casually assume Jesus is basically who Christianity claims him to be, but they're not really searching for him. They've settled for kind of an assumed Christ of a de facto religion that they just sort of inherit. Mark says that Peter and his companions hunted for Jesus and then they found him. They hunted for Jesus and then they found him. Jesus is found by those who search for him, not those who merely presume him. This was the word of the Lord from the prophet Jeremiah to the disillusioned Jewish exiles in Babylon. And you talk about deconstruction. These people had experienced the ultimate religious deconstruction. I'm talking 586 BC. The Jewish nation has been, well, they're, they're, they're the center of their faith, their temple has been destroyed, deconstructed down to the ground. There's nothing left. And they have been deported into a foreign land. They're the, they're the, they're the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their God is the God of Israel. They're not in Israel. They're a thousand miles away in Babylon. Their religion has, be, has been deconstructed. The center of their temple worship is gone. It's, there's nothing left. You talk about deconstruction. That's the ultimate example. But the word of the Lord comes to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says to these disillusioned exiles in Babylon, who everything's been deconstructed, the prophet says, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek for me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord. Oh. I mean, they're saying, how can we find the Lord? How can we sing the Lord's songs? We're in Babylon. Our God is the God of Israel. We're not in Israel. And the word of the Lord is, if you search for me, you'll find me. In Babylon, if you search for me, you will find me. If you seek for me with all your heart. You don't have to be in Jerusalem in the temple to find me. You can find me in Babylon if you seek for me with all your heart. Oh. I will let you find me, says the Lord. God plays hide and seek. The prophet Isaiah 45:15 says, "Truly you are a God who hides yourself." But through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, well, search for me and find me. 
If you seek for me hard enough with all your heart, God plays hide and seek. You ever play hide and seek with children? Yeah. Hey, let's play hide and seek. You'll be it. I'll hide. You find me. And you go hide. Now, if the real objective was to win the game, let's say you're playing with a four-year-old. Hey, you want to play hide and seek? Yeah. Or right, you be it, I'll go hide. Okay, count to 10. Now, while the kids count to 10, you could go get in your car and drive to Chipotle. <laughs> and they are never going to find you. If God does not want to be found, he's not going to be found, but that would not be love. That would be just cruel omnipotence. So when you play hide and seek with a child, you do not get in your car and go to Chipotle and say, find me, kid. Yeah, you go hide in the closet and you leave the door open. You hide behind the couch with your legs sticking out. Because you want two things. One, you want to be found, but you want the child to really seek for you with all their heart. That's what God does. God plays hide and seek. If you seek for me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. With all your, with all your what? Heart. Hmm. Not all your mind. Now, love God with all your mind. Seek to understand God as much as you can. I'm all for that. Totally, I'm all for that. But with your mind, you know about God. With your heart, you encounter God. I'm all for knowing all about God that you can know and being a theologian and all that business, you know, those that are supposed to do that. A lot of people shouldn't. <laughs> the heart is how you directly encounter God. Seek for him with all your... I know, I know a philosopher who was an atheist who then began to suspect that there was a God, but he said, I knew I would never grasp God with my intellect, even though he has a superior intellect. And so he began to search God with his heart. I said, what did you do? He said, I prayed. I said, what did you pray? He said, I just prayed the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That was the beginning of his seeking. So if we want to go hunting for Jesus like Peter, where should we hunt? Well, I mean, you already know the answer. I mean, it's, it's not a mystery. You already know the answer. You just, may, you just may need a little help in how to hunt better. We find Jesus in the woods of quiet prayer and in the highlands of Holy Scripture. That's mostly where you find Jesus. I mean, where, where did Peter and his companions find Jesus after hunting for him? They found him in the place of prayer. If you want to find Jesus, then actually, you know, hunt for him where he's most likely to be found. In the place of prayer. Just begin to pray, begin to pray, begin to pray, and then stop using words and be quiet and invite Jesus to draw near to you. And just sit with that for a while. Things like that. We search for Jesus in the quiet woods of prayer and in the highlands of Holy Scripture. I'm not talking about reading the Bible analytically. You know, dissecting the text with the historical critical method or textual analysis and textual criticism. There's a place for that. 
I get it. I'm well-versed in it. I'm not against it per se. I'm just going to tell you, you won't encounter Jesus in the scripture that way. For some, it has a role, most not. But that's not how you're going to... If you want to encounter Jesus in the scriptures, then you need to start reading the scriptures sacramentally. Sacrament has to do with how we encounter the other world through baptism, through communion, through things like that. We need to read the scriptures sacramentally. That is, we treat the Bible as a kind of professor's wardrobe that can take us into another world. We're not, we're not wanting to spend all of our time analyzing the wardrobe and figuring out how this works. We just want to go into it and find ourselves in another world. Scripture is not an encyclopedia of God facts, but a portal into divine mystery. That's what it is. So you say, well, what, are, what am I supposed to do with it? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But you can try some things. For example, I, I, I've done this. You, you can try reading the Gospel of John for a few months on your knees. So, you, so you're actually adopting a position of prayer. You're not sitting at the table with all of your commentaries and Greek lexicon and all of that, you're treating the Bible as holy scripture and you kneel and you pray and you say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me in holy scripture. And then you read on your knees the gospel of John and give time to be, to be still and wait and see what happens. Our text says, when they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. Jesus answered them, let us go on to the next towns. They searched for Jesus. They found Jesus. But then Jesus didn't let them stay where they found him. Where's Jesus? We can't find Jesus. If he's, in Jesus he's not in the house. No, he's not in the synagogue. Is he down by the seat? No. Well, let's just keep looking. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. Finally, they find Jesus. Everyone's looking for you. All right, you found me. Let's go. Let's go on. Let's go further. Let's go to the next town. You find Jesus in some way, and then you don't get to say, I found it, and I'm going to stay right here. If you do that, you'll wake up one morning and go, where did Jesus go? He went to the next town. You find Jesus, and then you move with him. We search for Jesus, we find Jesus, and then Jesus says, let's move on. So when I tell stories about the Jesus movement, inevitably, now don't do this, but inevitably, someone will come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, you know what we need to do? We just need to get back to that coffee house thing. We, just, we, need, to come, we need to have a coffee house. I promise you, I've heard this dozens of times. Well, no. No, you can't go back. There's no going back. And in fact, we needed to get out of the coffee house back into the church. <laughs> That's what we needed. We, we just had this, there was this, um, there was this interim grace that was given to us because we were so skeptical of the church that we needed this, this little evangelistic outreach that we found outside what we conventionally understood as the church. 
And then we came back to the church. Where do you think these drums and guitars came from? Those come from the coffee house that we brought back to church with us. That's literally, that's what happened. Contemporary worship around the world began in the Jesus movement. But those that didn't make the, bear witness, those that didn't make their way back to the church didn't last. So no, there's no going back. You don't, you don't go back. You just find Jesus and then keep moving with him. And that's what word of life is. A coffee house that kept following Jesus became a church and then went through some more changes because we kept following Jesus. That's what it's all about. Keep seeking Jesus and keep following Jesus. He'll let you find him. But once he finds him, he says, all right, let's play some more hide and seek. And off he goes. And you have to go see. He'll let you find him, but you got to seek for him. You can't just sit there and presume and say, well, in 1971, I found Jesus here. So I'm just staying here. Well, he's seven towns down the line. So you seek for Jesus, you find him, and then you keep moving for Jesus. Somebody say, amen. amen. All right, stand up with me. And now we're going to seek for Jesus, and guess where we're going to find him? Right there in the sacrament. Right there in the sacrament. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. The cup of blessing which we bless, the bread which we break. It is our finding Jesus and participating in his life. So we're going to come and find Jesus in the Holy Sacrament and we're going to prepare ourselves first in our faith and then in our confession of sin and the receiving of absolution. Join with me now in confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You found that forgiveness. And you found acceptance. You found belonging. You found home. You found peace. And here we find eternal life. Jesus said, you eat my flesh, drink my blood. You have eternal life. Jesus, I'll raise you up on the last day. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. 
It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.